Before we get started this week, I just want to apologise for being AWOL last week. I'm still working out this life, work, podcast, balance thing, and everything just got on top of me a bit. I had an episode that I could have shared with you, but it wasn't up to standard, and how could I box your delicate ears with anything less than my very best content? It wouldn't be fair. Safe to say, though, there are some very exciting things in the work. This week's main episode is going to be a discussion between myself and the wonderfully inventive T.L. Huchu, author of the Edinburgh Night series, and we'll be discussing the first book in the series, The Library of the Dead, over the next couple of weeks. I cannot begin to tell you how excited I am to share this with you. As an apology for missing out on last week's episode, I come to you groveling on my knees with a mini-pod based around one of my favourite absurd but true historical stories. Alright, my wonderful weirdos, grab your shovels. It's on with the show. Hello and welcome to Definitions, the podcast where we crack the lid of the coffin on death, dying and all the morbid morsels in between. Before we go any further, halt and take heed. These are your words of warning. I will be discussing topics of a deathly nature that may be upsetting to some, including surgery with a higher than average uh, mortality rate. And if you're not in the right headspace to get down and dirty with the maggots today, then that's fine. I totally get it. Sometimes you'd rather dig into cake and a good romance novel than a freshly dug grave. Now's your time to save yourself. If you're still here, I'll assume you've got your shovels at the ready. Though, uh, you may not need them today. Today we are asking the question, What is the surgery with the highest mortality rate of all time? If you follow me on TikTok, you may have seen that I finally got to visit the Anatomical Museum at the University of Edinburgh. If you're ever visiting the Old Smoke Alongside the Surgeon's Hall, I highly recommend you time your visit to coincide with one of the few days a year that the Anatomy Museum is open to the public. This museum, as opposed to the Surgeon's Hall, holds anatomical remains that are a tad more... sensitive, shall we say. This includes the skeletons and other remains of criminals and people whose body parts have ended up in the museum, but perhaps their consent was a little dubious. In fact, the museum itself has been part of a really big repatriation uh, process involving some of the skulls that used to be a part of their collection, heading back home to the people that they belong to. When it comes to criminal corpses though, it's a tricky situation because at the time of their execution, it was law for their bodies to be taken and anatomized. 
It wasn't until the government finally realised that this wasn't producing enough teaching aids for all the emerging doctors that the law changed to include the unclaimed bodies of the poor. Certainly no less problematic, but now medical students didn't have to wait around for crimes to be committed and just hope they were horrible enough for the uh, accused to be hanged by the neck until dead. Residing in the Edinburgh University Anatomical Museum is the skeleton of the famous Irish serial killer, William Burke. After his counterpart, William Hare, what can I say, maybe stay away from Williams, sold his best murder buddy out for immunity, the blame for the series of gruesome murders fell pretty squarely on the shoulders of Burke, at least in the eyes of the law. After his execution, Burke was anatomized, supposedly by the very doctor who he'd had a hand in selling murdered bodies to. His skin was flayed and a portion tanned and turned into a book you can now see at the Surgeon's Hall Museum, a letter penned in his blood and, oh yeah, his whole ass skeleton strung together and put on display. These days, you can only find him at the University's Museum unless he's rolled out for a special occasion, looking pretty much like every other skeleton, bleached bone and always slightly smaller than I imagine. Burke and Hare were operating in Edinburgh during a period of history where medicine as a discipline, as a science, was exploding. Discoveries were being discovered by bearded white men seemingly everywhere you looked, and one of those would be germ theory. The idea that if something is covered in blood, vomit, and worse, you should probably clean it, lest you infect someone else. These days, that idea seems very straightforward and obvious, but at the time, it was quite the opposite. The more blood on a surgeon's smock, the higher his prestige. For before painkillers and germ theory and all those newfangled discoveries and hygiene, the surgeon's greatest skill above all else was this, the sharpness and speed of his knife. In the 19th century, if you ended up with a disease of the limbs, a gangrenous foot or an infected sore on your arm, which if left untreated could threaten your life, there was only one thing to do, cut it off. This seemingly extreme and uh, tyrannical insistence of violence whilst necessary did not always lead to the best outcomes. Without the knowledge to properly clean a wound, even a freshly cauterized stump could still kill you as swiftly as your initial infection would have. But before you could get to the aftercare, you had to make it through the surgery, which would be bloody, painful and hopefully short ideally due to you passing out, or the skill of your surgeon, as opposed to you going into shock or bleeding out. Surgeons generally found that the faster they cut, the better chance their patients had, and the sooner they could get back to smoking and experimenting with ether, the better. This was true of medical history golden boy, Robert Liston. One of the most foremost surgeons of his time, Liston was intelligent and arrogant, a dangerous combination. He supposedly asked his colleagues to time me, gentlemen, and could separate a leg from its owner within 30 seconds. All of which 
was very well and good, until it wasn't. You may be able to imagine the kind of lecture theatre that the medical students and bravest or stupidest members of the public were crammed into. Without Coronation Street, what were people expected to do with their time? Well, if there was no public hanging, why not head down to the medical school and watch a dissection or a surgery? In this particular case, a procedure that none there would soon forget. The smell of congealed blood must have been heady, soaked into the smocks and sleeves of the surgeons and mopped up by the sopping hay on the floor under the surgery table where the patient would lay. After the crowd had settled, in walked the confident figure of Dr. Liston, brandishing his knife sharp enough to cut through bone. So sharp, you might not even feel it. But today would not be Liston's day, and it would go down in history as the only surgery to have a 300% mortality rate. Within the span of likely less than a minute, everything went wrong. Slicing through the diseased leg of his patient, Liston failed to realize that his wickedly sharp blade had also soared straight through the fingers of one of the men paid to hold down the writhing patient. At some point, as Liston pulled his knife back, he somehow managed to slice through the coattails of a member of the audience, who was so convinced he had been fatally wounded that he collapsed and died. Then, not only did the patient die of infection, but so did the poor assistant who had lost his fingers to Liston's blade. Although almost so ridiculous as to be laughable if it wasn't so morbid, it was instances such as this where death seemed to sidle up and steal his patience with such ease that would drive Liston to seek an understanding of what was killing them and start to form the basis of the way we consider germs and hygiene in a medical setting. I think it's safe to say if you are ever having a bad day or that, you know, it's just not going well for you. Just remember, you never accidentally killed three people at once during a routine leg amputation. And even if you do, you can still go on to change the face of medicine for the better. So there you have it, a very short dive into one of my favorite macabre stories from medical history. If you are also a lover of the dark, the strange, and possibly of cursed literature, Join me over on TikTok at Definitions, where I also chronicle and recommend all of my favourite morbid books. If you have any thoughts to share about the podcast or your own impending mortality, drop them in the comments. Reviews and ratings go a long way in helping to get this podcast out there, and I greatly appreciate the support. I want to tell you guys about all this weird stuff as much as you want to hear about it. The more you let me know you're out there listening, the more I'm inspired to delve into the depths of the internet and my local library to bring you these twisted tales. The Definitions podcast is research written and read by me, Jasper Chanter, with music provided by Zapsblatt. Anyway, chop chop, break's over, pick that shovel up. That grave's not going to dig itself. Bye bye for now, listeners. Catch you on the other side.